Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Don Callahan. Don, have you been able to successfully recover from the you know, 48 hours of basically no sleep that was National Signing Day for you, man? <laughs> I think so. Um, and, and, you know, to be honest, normally signing day is not a no sleep sort of situation for me, um, just because we, um, we we typically do a really good job. And, and a lot a lot of credit goes to uh, Ben Sherman for all this. But um, we typically do a really good job of playing things out so that we don't get overwhelmed. And there's actually a lot of preparation that goes inv- that gets involved in preparing for for signing day that starts, you know, it definitely starts within the, the two weeks before but really kind of starts probably a couple months before that. And, and typically I usually stay home or not home, but I stay where I'm out on the road, you know, on signing day, just because that, that, that helps us to kind of ease the, the, any sort of unexpected occurrence on signing day, which is signing day is always prone to have this sort of things. But this signing day, I actually went to Florida and I'm sure we, we, we can talk a little bit more in, in, with that, but because I went to Florida, you know, I had to fly and there was a lot of situations with that. And the main thing was, which actually kind of contributed to the lack of sleep, you know, that uh, last week was um, my wife, unfortunately, my wonderful, beautiful, intelligent wife planned a date night on signing day eve, which, you know, normally people could be like, oh, we'll change the date night. And that's what we would have done. Only she purchased um, hockey tickets where Flyers are actually playing in uh, Raleigh. And for those who know me pretty well know that I'm a huge, huge, huge Flyers fan. So I couldn't turn that down. And so her and I had a little date night, didn't get home until close to 11 and had to catch a flight that departed RDU at 5.45 a.m. So we woke up about three in the morning. And yeah, so (laughs) it was a a crazy (laughs) couple of days going to Orlando, although the weather was super nice, which I, I expected. But you know, when you're there, you're kind of like, wow, this really is nice. But yeah, so um, I think uh, I use the, the weekend to recoup. The other thing, too, is is there's a big football convention, um, coaches convention in uh, Greensboro on Friday. And, it, you know, that's not there's not a, lot, a whole lot of sleeping going on the weekend because of that. So so, yeah, but I spent Sunday and, and Saturday kind of recouping. What um, oh, what were your impressions <laughs> of the uh, of signing day? Well, I mean, you know, first off, credit to you and just the entire IC staff for providing just a huge amount of coverage on the day. There were, you know, I think maybe going into Wednesday morning, we thought that Carolina might be in it for a few more guys. But, you know, news broke kind of early on on Wednesday that, for example, like Jamarcus Chapman, that Carolina was, for all intents and purposes, eliminated from his recruitment. So that took a little bit of the uncertainty out. But, you know, I see had guys at Dax Holyfield. You were down in Florida for the uh, pocket teammates for their decision. And I was glued to my phone as much as I could throughout the day. And I think overall, this was a very good class. I mean, you talked about it, Don, in your article on the premium board, just talking about how this class stacks up historically for, um, for Coach Fedora. And so, you know, with that in mind, let's just kind of jump right into it. When you were looking at this class, Don, who was the most surprising get for the Tar Heels? So, you know, in other words, when you were kind of putting together over the summer, 
All right, here's who I think might be in the mock class. Who was the name that you were surprised that Carolina was able to land last Wednesday? Man, that's a good question. Because, you know, you you know, throughout you kind of give an idea of where things are are kind of settling. So it's hard to kind of be surprised. I guess, I guess William Barnes, maybe. I guess that would be my selection just because of the fact that I kind of, for, for the longest time, for the majority of the recruiting cycle, I felt like Florida was somehow going to find a way. Even when Florida changed or fired their coaching staff, I thought they would bring in a hotshot coach, which they did in Dan Mullen. Um, I think most people w- would agree with that. And, you know, Dan Mullen would hire a good staff. and whoever it was would kind of mend the the fences with uh, Barnes and, and with uh, Ed Montillas. And that just never happened. And what a lot of people, even, even diehard UNC recruiting football, recruiting fans probably don't realize is Apopka has kind of been a pipeline to Florida. If Florida wants a kid from Apopka. They're going to get, they're going to get that kid. It's not far from the campus and the head coach at, at Apopka has been there a very long time, has produced a lot of really good players. And so there's definitely, they definitely have some good connections within there. And I just always thought that, that somehow or another, Florida would steal William Barnes. But credit to Coach Cap and Coach Chad Scott, who did unbelievably with uh, landing those guys. Um, particularly, you know, well, both of them equally. But I don't think that Coach Scott gets enough credit for just the work that he put in with not only with William Barnes, but with Antoine Green and really kind of fending off you know, the, the heavyweights in in recruiting to to land those three Florida guys. Barnes would also be on my list as well. I'm with you. I thought the entire time that he and Montillas were Florida bound. And I think even on the podcast, you know, we were kind of skeptical of the good vibes that were coming out for the Tar Heels. I would say that maybe started, you know, about, I guess, October-ish, October to September to October. And then, but there was, there was points like during the freak show where he came close to committing, you know. Oh, and, wow. and it, yeah, I mean, and 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 some of this is is has been kind of out there a little bit, but I mean, he came close to committing to the freak show, wanted to kind of go home and think about it, and then nothing ever happened with it, and then he ended up going to Florida's Friday Night Lights, I believe, and then it basically put Florida back into the driver's seat, and that's where they stayed up until either either right when. Florida fired their their coach or just before that. Now he says that it had more to do with the fact that that he liked Florida so much because of the offensive line coach at the time who who wasn't retained and you know he he liked that coach so much but then his parents kind of came in and said, "Hey, you can't choose a school based on a coach." And and maybe the the whole um firing in Florida kind of made him think, "Okay, they're right. I have to pick a school that I'm comfortable with regardless of what coach is there." So but yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But yeah, I mean there was, and even even then, I was still skeptical. Even if you even if you would have committed at the freak show, the entire time I would think, okay, when is Florida going to flip this kid? You know, and I started getting positive vibes from my sources probably in December, and I was skeptical all the way up until mid January, to be completely honest, because it just felt like something was going to happen. You know, but you know, credit the coaches because they did a fabulous job of not only signing him, which is obviously the what you're trying to do, but also preventing him from taking official visits to other schools. So he did officially visit Ole Miss, but I don't think that that was much of a threat because 
of their situation with the NCAA. But, you know, he had official visits scheduled with Auburn, and he had one scheduled with Florida, and none of those actually were taken. Ohio State was hot on him, too. There are some other big-time schools that are hot on him that, that he never even considered to, or never really set up an official visit to. So the next question I had for you, Don, is when you're looking back at the commitments, who do you think was the most important get for the Heels? And, you know, that that could honestly be William Barnes. I can certainly see an argument for that. But in your opinion, when you're looking back on it, who do you think was the recruit that the staff kind of said, all right, this is the guy that we must get this class? You know, there's there's... You can you can go in so many di- directions with this uh, this question. You know, I'm going to go, I guess, in a unique one. I'm going to go with someone that you have definitely developed a um, admiration for, Jordan <laughs> Adams. Oh yeah. Uh, I think that if Adams would have went to Clemson or Ohio State or wherever, then that would have been a huge kick in the nuts, if I can say that. Um, because yeah. <laughs> not, not only is he an in-state kid, even though he's not really an in-state kid, but he did play a senior season in-state. But uh, you have the coach, his dad, on your on your coaching staff. So, um, you know, and then not only that, I mean, this isn't just a kid. This is not like Jake Venables at, at Clemson, where, I mean, who's a solid player, solid uh, recruit, but you know, if his dad's not on staff, then he's probably doesn't end up at Clemson sort of thing. This is a legit four-star kid, if not five-star kid, who's an unbelievable talent who, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more um, with our, our rankings later on in the show. But, I mean, he's a kid who who should make an impact immediately. And eventually his, his impact on Saturdays is going to be huge. What, what about you? When you're looking at the class, what, what do you think? Well, I think that it was Jordan Adams myself, and basically for those reasons that, that you mentioned, I mean, just the optics of of having a kid like Jordan go to another school, I think would have put a sour taste in many UNC fans' mouths, and when you're looking at that wide receiver position, that's kind of a spot that Carolina has a lot of talent that's good right now. Like, I don't think there's necessarily anyone on, on the uh, on the current roster that you would not trust in a football game. But at the same time, I don't really know who that top wide receiver is. You know, when you're thinking about a Hakeem Nix type type of guy, that's just your far and away, your number one option. The heels kind of don't really have that right now. And Jordan can be that player. I mean, possibly as a freshman. And like you said, we'll get into into that when we rank are guys who we think will have the most impact next year in the second half of this podcast. So the the answer to that question would be Jordan for me as well. And then let's go ahead and get right into my next question for you, Don, is who do you think was the recruit that was the biggest miss for, for the staff? So who was the player that you thought Carolina had a real legitimate chance to land and for whatever reason just elected to go to a different school? This is another hard one because, you know, this question would be different almost, you know, almost every month. If you were to ask me this a couple months ago, it would be different. Um, And maybe just the freshness has me leaning towards Dax Holyfield. It just feels like, you know, for those who don't follow football recruiting or North Carolina football recruiting closely, they probably would think that NC State or maybe, I don't know, Duke 
might be North Carolina's biggest uh, competition when it comes to recruits. And yes, they, they recruit against those schools, but the school that really just goes head to head so often with uh, North Carolina is Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech wins a lot of battles, which is something that's really kind of been a thorn in UNC's side. And they got another one in Dax Holyfield. And I had the opportunity to talk to some people close to Dax, very, very close to Dax, close within um, the circle of making the decision. And and they said that it came, well, it came down to North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and it literally went back and forth multiple times on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And that Dax actually did not make his final decision until Wednesday morning. I mean, that's how close it was. His parents would not have let him go to Clemson. Um, I'm not going to get into that, but I mean, if you do a quick Google search, you can kind of see some some of the, um, I guess, thoughts that his dad had on Clemson, and and that was going to prevent Clemson from from being uh, the, the school that he was going to pick. But um, you know, North Carolina really kind of pulled out all the stops in recruiting Dax, and it seemed like everything was kind of playing into their favor with you know the brother getting offered and the girlfriend being accepted and. Uh, and then getting him back on campus. And so they got that last visit. They also had the last in-home visit. They prevented Virginia Tech from getting that last visit. You know, everything just worked out perfectly. And from what I've been told, it simply came down to the fact that, what, well, one, he had, Dax had an unbelievable relationship with, with Gunnar Brewer, which is, you know, he recruits Cleveland County for North Carolina, but he's, but he's also North Carolina's wide receivers coach. So obviously, Dax, if he were to go to North Carolina, his interactions with uh, Brewer would be limited to, you know, just kind of personal, just talking, hey, how you're doing sort of thing. He wouldn't be any sort of room with uh, Dax and actually being coached by by um, by Gunnar Brewer. So, and on Virginia Tech side, Dax had a very, very strong relationship with Bud Foster. On North Carolina side, he did not have a defensive coach that he was all that strong with. I mean, he had a good relationship with Mike Eckler and with Coach John Papuchis, but they weren't nearly as strong as Bud Foster's. And from what I was told, that's what it ultimately came down to. And it's an unfortunate thing for North Carolina, you know, considering all the work that was put in, particularly about, uh, particularly from um, Coach Brewer. But yeah, that that would probably be my miss. I think you can go with, I mean, a, a name that that might have might be most people might have forgotten about because he committed so long ago, Samir White is another name. You know, he made a ton of visits to Chapel Hill. Uh, his his best friend, a guy that he calls his blood brother, um, Jonathan Smith, is there on campus. And that was kind of a, a big loss when, when he committed to Georgia and obviously went on to sign with Georgia. But I think people forgot about him a month later, especially when he tore his ACL and wasn't in the in the news as much and you know didn't play in any All Star games because of the injury and and all that. I'll flip the question to you, John. What what was your biggest miss? So I'm going to stick on the defensive side, but I'm actually going to go with Peyton Wilson as the the miss that I thought just hurt this class overall. And the reasons are similar to with Dax, but not landing Peyton, I think, will have a, stings a little bit more because of the fact that he was actually committed at one time. And yeah, I mean, since then, he's said a lot of, of reasons why you know, he, he went back on, on that commitment. And, you know, I think he's happy right now being at NC State. But when you're looking at a guy that is at a position of need, 
who committed early in the recruiting cycle. And you had the opportunity there to really kind of lay a bedrock for a defensive position. I think that that one hurt a lot. And the fact that he went to NC State is obviously never a positive either because like Virginia Tech, I mean, they're a huge recruiting adversary and you never want to see your in-state you know, heated football rival get better at your expense. The other one that I will say, Don, that I thought was a miss was Zamir White. That was actually a name that I was going to bring up. Uh, you already did, though, and, and I think for a lot of the same reasons that he was a nationally ranked recruit and he had made a lot of visits to UNC. He had some good relationships with the staff and he would have, I think he would have definitely played as a freshman and, you know, there's a, a position for Zamir White just to basically step right into in this roster for next year. So those would have been my two. And then the last question for this segment, Don, that I want to ask you is, you know, what are your thoughts on this class as a whole? Obviously, you've written a couple articles on the Inside Carolina about it. But, you know, just for, for right now, just give us kind of your, your general thoughts on, on the complete top to bottom 2018 class that signed for the Heels. Well, I kind of covered a lot of this in my, my column that we posted on uh, on signing day. And my title was Fedora's Best Class. And statistically, it it was North, it was Fedora's Best Class. And it was actually North Carolina's uh, fourth best class of the internet era, which is from 2002 to right now, to present time. And the reason why I kind of use that time frame is because that's really where we can kind of look back and kind of um, – get a rank get the rankings and and they're and they're from the same companies and all that sort of stuff but um i mean i think it's a, it's it's a tremendous class i mean you got a three four-star wide receivers you got two four-star offensive linemen um you you have two very good quarterbacks who i think are going to compete um you got some defensive playmakers you know i mean really i mean north carolina did a really really good job and the the numbers back it up um it's actually the they signed seven total four-star prospects and that's the most that North Carolina has signed since the 2011 class um you know so you know we already got your opinion on on what you thought the class was was uh what your thoughts on the class were but uh, let me just ask you I'm I'm assuming that you read my story yes i did <laughs> okay all right all right so i did have some what's that Let's say i always read your your stories don come on man I sense a slight hint of bull crap, but I'll just take you on your word. Um, I had some class superlatives in there. I know this kind of goes in line with some of your questions. Were there any that you agree, that you disagreed with with any of my selections? No, I really didn't see too too much to disagree with there on those superlatives, Don. I think the only thing is, you know, when you're talking about the headliners and um, the the biggest impact guys. You you had to pick two different players in those spots, and I, and I don't want to ruin anything for those who haven't read that article on the Tarpet Premium Message Board. But you know, I think you you honestly could have just used one particular player for a lot of the of the headlines in this one. So when you're talking about best in class, most important um, headliner, all all of that kind of stuff, I really thought that there was one name in particular that you basically could have used for them all. But I think that it's your, no, it's your uh, love affair. Is it not? 
I I, I cannot confirm nor <laughs> nor deny. No, no, I, don't, I, mean, I, I agree I, with you. And I'm not alone in that, okay? I will take okay. solace in that. <laughs> and and you're absolutely right. And and when I'm thinking about when I was thinking about, you know, who I should select, and we've actually used the same categories for the past at least four or five years. And we try to keep it consistent. And we also try not to use a recruit more than once, which makes it a little bit harder. And because really we came close to using Jordan Adams in, in at least two of those categories. So, I mean, obviously sleeper is one that, that kind of is the one that you, you would just kind of use for one guy sort of thing. But, uh, but no, I absolutely agree. And it's just kind of how you think about it and, you know, and you gotta be a little bit creative, but yeah, we, we, we definitely try to, we, well, we have always just used one recruit per, um, per superlatives just so that we're given recognition equally and not giving it too much to one guy, even if. I personally or someone else might have a love affair with a particular recruit. <laughs> gotcha. And with that, let's go ahead and take our commercial break, Don. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about which prospects that committed last Wednesday we think will have the biggest impact on next year's team. So stay tuned for that. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Don Callahan breaking down the 2018 UNC football signings. And Don, as we've been alluding to for basically the first half of this podcast, let's talk about the guys that we think are going to have the biggest impact. So for those who may not listen to the podcast from last week, um, Don and I, we are going to give our top five players that we think will have an impact next year. I tried to honestly rank mine, Don, and I just really couldn't. So my five are in no real particular order. And a lot of that is just because, you know, when, when you're dealing with freshmen, just so much is, is unknown. But before you and I give our picks, uh, let's go ahead and get to the submissions that we had from our listeners. All right. So we had five. I'm sorry. We had four, which is, which is a good number. Um, Dave's ranking is number one, Jordan Adams. Number two, Matthew Flint. Number three, Javon Terry. And number four, Antoine Green. He did not have a number five. And then we have Chris from Burlington, um, and he actually inserts a drum roll, which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> Excellent. So his his number one is Jordan Adams. Number two, William Barnes. Number three, Antoine Green. Number four, Jace Reuter. And number five, Jaleel Taylor. And then we have John from South Carolina, who I believe is the only. Well, actually, I know is the only. Um, listener who has submitted a list every single week which we really really appreciate for him playing along because it makes it fun um he has number one jordan adams number two william barnes number three matthew flint number four javon terry and number five devin lawrence and last but not least we have terrence from new haven connecticut which i believe this is the furthest we've had a um submission am i missing a submission that was further away. Usually they're either Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina. Am I right? 
Yeah, I I can't remember anyone outside of basically those states. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, uh, Terrence, who currently holds the title as the the furthest submission ranking submitter. So his number one is your. I guess it's it's kind of if if Jordan Adams is your love affair, then Jaleel Taylor might be your your side check, right? Hard to <laughs> deny that. Yeah, I mean, I. I We'll get to, to that later on, but okay. yeah, Taylor right, so is, is, is a prospect I think a lot of people can look forward to. All right, so we have number one, Jaleel Taylor, which is interesting. I, I, I like it. I like it. I do. Uh, number two, Jordan Adams. Number three, Matthew Flint. Number four, Deami Brown. And number five, William Barnes. But before we get to ours, from those selections, because obviously this is way different than some of our other rankings, anything jump out at you at, at, at some of these um, submissions? So a couple of things. The number one, I would say, is Jace Reuter at quarterback. I thought about that for a while. I did not put either of the quarterbacks on my list because I just do not see them being in a position to contribute next year. And surprisingly as well, I, you know, this is giving it away a little bit, but you're not going to see any linemen on my list either. And I think that's because there's enough depth on the Tar Heels both defensive and offensive lines at this point, where I don't think that any of the guys in this class are going to be asked to contribute. So absent something like a, um, you know, a really injury-plagued season again, which, I mean, let's hope that that doesn't happen. But I just don't see any of the linemen really contributing as freshmen. And I think that's also by design because, you know, usually – a majority of the time you kind of want your linemen to have a year or two in college to redshirt, get stronger, get into a college weightlifting and dieting program. Um, so the fact that so many people put like William Barnes on there, I think that might be looking at his ranking and not really thinking about, okay, do we honestly think that he's going to be able to come in and take a spot away on this team from some of the guys that are already there. No, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. 100%. And and I said this, I think last podcast is that if you're going to rank the positions based off of the likelihood that a incoming freshman is going to play offensive line would clearly be on the bottom just because of the, what you've mentioned. And then also, you know, it's not only the depth, I mean, which North Carolina clearly has a depth, but just generally speaking, you know, there's just, there's just so much required. There's just such a huge jump for an offensive lineman from high school to uh, college, particularly with, you know, the strength, the scheme, you know, Barnes in particular, I mean, he's coming from a wing T offense where it's going to be, it's, it's going to be way different than what he's going to be doing at North Carolina. And then, as you said, I mean, there's just tons of depth there. You know, I think he's going to be a great player for North Carolina. I just don't think he's going to be a great player for North Carolina in the 2018 season so how are we going to do this now since you didn't rank or do you want to rank it really quickly so actually that that's what i was going to say is while we've been talking i went ahead and just did do a quick one through five so let's just i'll tell you what don let's actually mix it up a little bit let's uh let's both give our number fives and then let's just discuss it for a little bit and we can move on to number four and and go kind of like that what do you think okay yeah yeah it sounds good and before we jump in well, do you have any any ideas for a potential um, rankings for next week? I do not. I mean, I have one. Okay, 
Let's hear it. All right. So this one's going to be, you know, pretty. It should the list should be pretty diverse, I would think. Why don't we put together everybody submit a top five wish list for the 2019 class? I mean, we've been talking about the okay. 2018 class so much. Last week, I, th- I think it was last week, or maybe it was the week before, we got into the 2019 class a little bit because North Carolina had their big junior day. But um, you know, I think this will be interesting because there's just you know you can go in so many different directions. So just give me your your top five. In order, don't do what John does. Get it to me in order. Either tweet at me at Don Callahan IC or, or, or message me on Inside Carolina's message board. I believe my handle is Don Callahan. Or you can message John. How can they message John? So you can message me on the message board, JD Siegley. I'm on there. So yeah, shoot us your, your rankings. And I like that. Let's go ahead and start focusing on the 2019 class. Okay. All right. So let's go with your game plan as far as um, you're giving our number five. So we're just going to do five, four, and but after each one, we'll talk about it. Yeah. So let's let's do that. Um, okay. And since you are technically the guest on the pod and I'm the host, you can start with yours, Don. Okay. All right. My number five is Javante Williams, running back from Wallace Rose Hill. All right. And my number five was Devin Lawrence, running back out of Wake Forest. So we're both thinking yeah, the really same thing there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is this is really interesting. Um, and I promise everybody who's listening, we did not plan this. No, especially not since at all. John didn't even rank his until five seconds ago. <laughs> it's true. So, um, all right. So I'm assuming you're thinking is that are, are you are you thinking that at least one running back is going to play? Is that what you're thinking is? Yep, exactly. I mean, I I do think that out of the running backs, at least one of them is going to burn their red shirt at some point in the season, whether it comes down to there's an injury or maybe just someone really starts looking good over the spring and summer. But yeah, I mean, and and honestly, I thought it was basically a coin flip between Javante and Devin. I thought the same way. Yeah, my personal thing was I thought with Devin, the fact that he's better catching the ball out of the backfield, maybe a slight edge. But with Javante, I think that you can look to his having a little bit of a more power running that maybe he gets some goal line looks. Was that kind of your thinking with going with Javante over Devin? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think about the catching angle. I like it. I think it's. I think it's a good point. My thinking was I. I, I also was kind of split. I almost kind of use number five to be a slash slash Javante slash Devin. And my thing was like, okay, Devin has played at the highest level in North Carolina. So he's played against better competition. Javante though, is actually going to participate in spring practice. So that was kind of what gave me the edge or gave Javante the edge in my mind was that he's going to learn the system much sooner than Devin's going to. And, um, you know, so, so it's going to give him a little bit of an, of an edge. But I agree with you that I think the catching aspect is huge. I didn't even think about that. Uh, but I also agree with you that um, I guess North Carolina does have Jonathan Sutton, and there hasn't been any, any I guess, mention of potentially moving him back to linebacker yet, although they, you know, Fedora did say during his, um, his press conference that he's going to move uh, Kane Roberts back. So right now, Jonathan Sutton is North Carolina's power back. So who knows? Maybe Javante has a good spring, um, or maybe he just kind of gets in there. So that that's that's why I went with Javante. But similar thinking, we just went different directions on who we went with. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I I think it's a safe bet to say one of these guys will play. We'll see who it ends up actually being. And then moving on to the number four spot, I put wide receiver Antoine Green as my number four. All right, I went with defensive back Bryson Richardson. Hmm. All right, why Richardson? Well, because. One, he's, he's played for one of the top programs in the nation, not just in Georgia. It's one of the top programs in the nation. And actually, I just saw a, a ranking that, that ranked the top recruit-producing states in the nation. And I think Georgia was somewhere in, in the top five, maybe number three or whatever. Three. Yeah. And, but the interesting thing for me, as, as in reference to Bryson, was that it listed the, um, the top recruit producing high schools in each state and Beaufort was was number one for Georgia which if you consider how much talent I mean obviously they're not ranked number three if we're remembering correctly so for for Georgia I mean for Beaufort to produce that much it's it's pretty impressive so you know he's in practice he's been going against really talented players they play a, a very um competitive schedule and he's had some really, really good coaching. We talked about that when Buck was on there, just the, the coaching he has. More than anything else, as I mentioned before, he's an effort kid. Effort kids tend to see time before you truly expect it. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to start in the secondary or anything like that. I don't even know if he's going to play in the secondary this coming season. But um, I expect him to be a, um, a special teams guy during his true freshman year and then you know, slowly kind of get into, that, into the secondary rotation. So why did you go with uh, Antoine Green? So Antoine Green, kind of the same vein in terms of thinking he will contribute on special teams, I think, a little bit more at the wide receiver spot. But when I was looking at Antoine Green, he fills a hole in the wide receiving core that I don't think anyone else really in this class can get to. And that's just the take the top off the defense, burner speed wide receiver. because. I think Green in a straight line might even be a little bit faster than Jordan Adams. So I think if Carolina is going to have a wide receiver that they can just say, hey, run to the opposite end of the field and we're going to chuck the ball to you, I can see Green as being in on those plays. And then I think he also, given his size and just you know physical abilities, I do see him as being someone who could contribute on, on special teams in kind of that Mac Collins role where, you know, Mac just gave it his all constantly. So, yeah, I, I think Green might be able to to fit in there. So that's why I had him at number four. So go ahead and give us your number three then, Don. This is going to be a name that has not been mentioned. My number three is Antoine Green, wide receiver <laughs> from Rockledge High School in Florida. Go ahead. What was your number three? All right, my number three was Javon Terry. So we, again, people, we did not do notes beforehand, but Don and I are obviously thinking defensive back and and wide receiver for the three and the four spots. We just uh, flip-flop a little bit there. Uh, You want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Yeah, um, you know what? I'll go first on this one. So uh, I had Javon Terry at the number three spot because unlike the cornerback position, I think that the depth chart is a little bit lighter at safety. And Javon might have the highest spark ratings for those you know that that follow the the NFL uh, and, and the combine and everything like that. I think if you put guys th- this this class on the field and ran them through a spark test, Javon Terry would be in the top three. I think just given his measurables. 
And like I said at the very beginning, I think that the the pathway for him to see the field is a little bit more open than the cornerback spot. So that's why I thought that Javon Terry might really be contributing as a freshman at that free safety role because his film was very, very impressive. And I think if the lights really click for him over the summer and everything, and he really learns the the playbook, I can see him logging a pretty substantial amount of time as a true freshman. All right, so I'll go into Antoine Green. Um, I had the same thoughts that you had about him. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I want to emphasize, though, um, is the fact that North Carolina, I mean, obviously they had some problems with the quarterback situation, but some of that was they didn't have very many weapons at wide receiver, none that, that just stepped up other than Anthony Ratliff. He was the only one that really kind of stepped up, and really it took him a couple games to really kind of develop into that role. So I feel like the wide receiver position is just, if anybody just stands out, they're going to get some playing time. And that's just how, how desperate that position is in need of, of playmakers. I feel like Green has a lot of athleticism. I think that um, what we see from him as a freshman and sophomore is going to be nothing compared to what we see from him as a junior and senior because his, his ceiling is, is so high. He's, he's, not only does he excel in football, which he's, he's very, very raw on the football field, but he's also a, a really good basketball player, not to the point of being recruited. But he's, I mean, he's a just kind of speaks to his athleticism. Um, he's also a really good track guy, and he's actually considering being part of North Carolina's track and field team. But I mean, I think as you as you mentioned, he's a he's a guy who can be a deep threat, but also is not just strictly just has long speed. He has some some speed underneath. He can catch some passes. He could be a possession guy, but he can also stretch the field, as I mentioned, um, because of his size and his athleticism and. Um, I think I think we'll probably see some some glim- glimpses of of his potential uh, this year, and if not this year, n- next year, because he's um, he's a very very talented guy. So I guess we're on to number two, right? Yep, we are. Go ahead and lead us off for that one. All right, my number two is linebacker Matthew Flint. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you had number. T- I knew you had him. Oh number two. my gosh! Yep, I had two as Matthew Flint. This, oh this man, this is going to be exciting. Given <laughs> I know, right? Oh, you, I'm going first this time, right? Yeah, go ahead, Don. Okay. All right. So my thinking is is that this is uh, you. You talked about Javon Terry and his athleticism. Flint has very similar level of athleticism. I think he's a guy who um, is definitely going to be if a fixture on special teams just because he's so versatile, so athletic. Um, he, he was, he was, you know, used in a lot of different positions in high school. And I think that will be invaluable on special teams for North Carolina. So at the very least, he will have a role on special teams. The fact that he's enrolling early is going to give him a leg up on, on anybody who's enrolling in the summer. And, and plus we're going to be able to kind of see what he's capable of in spring practice. So why did you also pick Matthew Flint? So I picked Flint because I think the linebacker core probably more than any other position on UNC's team needed an influx of talent from from this class. And I was super impressed with Flint's film. I mean, the fact that he was only a three-star guy, I I was a little bit surprised by that. I think that he is a four-star in most classes, just given the raw athleticism. I don't necessarily see him starting, 
but I definitely see him as a name on the two deep as early as the summer. And I can see him really trying to lock down a starting position position at the linebacker spot, you know, probably not as a freshman, but really from sophomore year moving onward, I think he's going to be a mainstay in this defense. Yeah, if I could just add one more thing onto that. We posted sure. an inside, inside a commitment on um, Matthew Flint, um, kind of heading, heading up into sign day. I think it was like the Monday before. Very, very interesting read. But the one thing that I guess the highlight of it was that um, I was told by a very reliable source that Tommy Thickpen, way before he was even being considered to return to North Carolina, was referring to Matthew Flint as the six foot one Bruce Carter. So I don't think I need to give much more of an, of an explanation about that. If, if you're a Tar Heel fan, you should know how high that sort of praise was. And keep in mind that uh, Tommy Thigpen was at North Carolina during Bruce Carter's uh, tenure. Yeah. So we go to number. We're going to go to number one. Yeah, we will. And I'll start drum, this because we got. No, we got to do drum roll. There we go. You know, maybe someday Buck will, will give me fun so I can get an actual sound. I think board. it's way better that we're producing this ourselves. Maybe we can get extra pay because we're providing some sort of music. I'll leave you to, to bring that up with, with the boss. <laughs> um, you know, this is going to surprise absolutely nobody. My number one was Jordan Adams. And <laughs> I think it's just because Jordan offers everything that you want in a wide receiver. I mean, if you want someone who can run around over the over the middle, it's Jordan. If you want someone who can beat someone to the outside, it's Jordan. If you down in the red zone and you you need someone to just do whatever they need to do to catch a, a ball and score a touchdown, it's Jordan. I mean, his film, his measurables, everything on this kid is just off the charts. I think that he will be starting come the fall of 2018 for, for the Heels. And I think he's going to have an excellent career. And really, that's about it. I mean, aside from that, I think that if you're looking for a wide receiver to bolster that that position, to give the the UNC quarterback someone that they can rely on, Jordan will will be providing that. And I think when you combine his ability with the guys like Ratcliffe Williams, who really turned it on late in the year, I think it's actually going to offer a pretty dynamic passing attack for the Heels come next season. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to basically echo a lot of what you said just now and what I said earlier about Antoine Green. I think the the wide receiver depth chart is just, you know, even though there's a lot of um, bodies and that there's there's a lot of guys with potential who, you know, could still develop into very good options. Um, I mean, a lot of these guys were very, very good recruits. And you still have young guys like um, Bo Corrales, who, who played a lot last year, particularly towards the latter part of the season, who's only a, a sophomore who... Um, you know, has plenty of years and has a lot of development who probably will, is going to ha- have a breakout season this, this coming season. But yeah, there's, if you excel either in spring practice, which Jordan Adams won't be participating in or, and, or in the summer in um, preseason practice at wide receiver, you're going to get an opportunity to play a lot this season. And that's just how it is. And And there are certain situations where, you uh, you go into a situation where there's just so many good players ahead of you. It doesn't matter what you do. Maybe they'll get you in certain packages. Um, this isn't the case here. There's you know this is wide open, and you have a, on top of the opportunity being there, you have a guy in Jordan Adams who, no matter what it has been, whether it's 
the the Nike opening regional, the Nike opening final, um, the U.S. Army All-American game where he had a team high or I'm sorry, a game high in receptions and receiving yards with all that talent that's on that field. That's you know, that's what he did. I think he I think it was either five or six receptions, which is incredibly impressive. You know, in the Shrine Bowl, he was one of the better players in Shrine Bowl practice. You know, he went into a situation where he didn't know any or really hadn't played with any of of the uh, the other kids at Green Hope High School and end up being their best player. So and, and and really kind of elevated that high school to to a different level. This is a guy who, no matter what he touches, he becomes a good player. Also, a tremendous baseball player, which um, we haven't talked about a whole lot, but that might be the uh, I guess the, the the pin that deflates or pops. North Carolina's balloon with uh, with Jordan because he's an unbelievable baseball player too who has the potential to be drafted. So I just think that you put him in any situation, he's going to excel. Um, he has tons of um, of talent, but really I think what separates him is his intangibles. He just has this feel for the game that it's it's hard to kind of describe. You go you have to you have to watch him to kind of have an understanding. He's just so smooth and effortless in everything he does, and I just really. I'm with you. I think he's going to make an impact for North Carolina this this fall. Just real quick, Don, and we'll end the the podcast after this. Do you think that Jordan is among the best high school wide receivers that you have covered during your years of following high school recruiting? For receivers that I have actually seen in person, and I've seen, I go back to the early 2000s for those who, who know, and this is actually before John, I believe, where Independence High School had Mario Rayleigh, who went to Georgia, and Mohamed Massaqua, who went to Georgia, and uh, Josh Briscoe went to, to Tennessee. Um, I know I'm forgetting a bunch of others, but I go way back then. Uh, Jordan Adams is definitely the best wide receiver I have seen with my own eyes in person. Obviously, I mean, I, I watch so much film, and, and film can be a little bit deceiving, but I feel like when you're in person, you're watching the guy, it's a, it's it's harder to kind of trick your, your eyes in person. Um, and uh, Jordan Adams is definitely the best that I've seen in person. All right. Well, the last, you know, UNC football recruit that you thought would, was one of the best that you've seen in person, Don, was Elijah Hood. And uh, yes. I think it's safe to say that he had a pretty good career for the Tar Heels. So we will see if Jordan can can follow that and you know one day be an NFL player. But until the next time, guys, we will go ahead and wrap this one up. We will start looking forward to the 2019 class at the next podcast because Football recruiting is 12 months now. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I think the staff may have had one or two days to let their families know that they're still alive, and then they're basically right back at it. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure you get your wish list in, 2019 wish list in. Either tweet me or message me or message John so that we can get you in. Let's, let's increase. We've been stuck at four or five the past few weeks, so let's push that number up higher. I mean, because this is, this is pretty easy, and there's, Really not a whole lot to it with this one. With the other ones, you had to watch film and all that sort of stuff. And some people, that's not their cup of tea. But this is pretty simple. You know, everybody has favorite uh, favorite recruits. This is not a ranking of um, who's the best player. This is a wish list. What, who you want to be a part of North Carolina's class for the 2019 um, recruiting cycle. All right. Thanks, Don. Until next time, everyone, have a good one. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.